Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Okay, today we're going to start a, uh, a series, as I said before, a series within a series. It's Colossians. We're going to start the book of Colossians and we'll be doing that uh, under the banner of the Truth, Judgment and Eternity series. And it, it does line up a lot with the Uncovering Religion series too. It's all sort of interconnected. So I'm sure you're going to find it quite a fascinating study. But if we can, if we can turn to the book of Colossians. Colossians comes after the book of John. Then you go past uh, Romans, or Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Then there's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. That's G-E-P-C, G-E Power Company. That's how some people remember it. <laughs> and there's power in these four, gospel, uh, four epistles. Okay, so we're all at the book of Colossians. Okay, now we're just going to read Colossians 1, uh, verses 1 to 5. And it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. We might just add that on to get a full stop. So the gospel that has come to you. Okay, so now keep your Bibles open. Even though we've got the uh, NIV version, I'll be drawing from the English Standard Version uh, when we preach, when I preach about it. So Lord, I just uh, ask you now just to help me as I deliver this sermon. And, and uh, Lord, I pray that you will uh, expose the truth in relation to this uh, epistle and help us to understand it and get a greater and deeper insight into it. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. The series uh, is called Truth, Judgment and Eternity. And it's a mutually, mutually compatible series with the Uncovering Religion series. It's a series for our personal growth as Christians in the things of God to prepare us for judgment and for our eternal lives. And I think that's important that we are prepared for judgment. Isn't that a good thing? It's like if you, a good teacher in mathematics, say, would be wise to prepare them for the final exam, wouldn't they? Would he be a good teacher if he just got off topic all the way through the year and then said, oh, good luck with the exam, you know? It would be pretty foolish of that teacher to do that to students. And I'm sure there's many teachers that have done that to students. But um, a, a wise, I, I believe a wise counsel would be to prepare us for the coming judgment, for the big one, which is where we either get accepted or rejected from the kingdom of God. Now, in the book of Colossians, Paul is doing just that. He's coming in and saying, guys, we have a judgment coming. And this is what you guys are doing wrong. And you've got to correct it so that you don't fail 
at Judgment Day. So you don't get excluded from the kingdom of God because you accepted so many other contradictory beliefs. I want to give a, an overview and introduction to the letter of Colossians written by the Apostle Paul. This year, I really want to take us all deeper in the faith. Uh, and I really want to center our teaching deeper in the Word of God. In doing that, I believe that I should follow the Scriptures letter for letter, going through and not, not departing too far from them and, and dragging a bit here and a bit there, but just following it through stage by stage. Um, I believe the true church is impeccably biblical and studies and expounds, which is like preachers, upon the Scriptures accurately. If we aren't accurate in our research, and if I'm not accurate in my research, then how can I expound my the scriptures accurately either. So that's what I really intend to do this year. For that reason, the Holy Spirit prompted me to work through the Bible systematically with great care and great detail to the theology and the doctrines revealed, along with the historical background of each of the books that we study. So with the book of Colossians, to get a sense of what the book is talking about, we've got to get a sense of the time it was written in and the situation that it was in. And uh, just what was happening. And you get an, once you get an understanding of that, you think, hey, the church today is in a very similar state. And then you can read the book of Colossians with greater insight. And it means more to you then. We, we should get started. The, Col the Colossians. With the recent resurgence of interest in Gnosticism, uh, popularized through movies and books like The Da Vinci Code and uh, Angels and Demons, and The Matrix, and, and there's many others, as well as organisations promoting a revival in Gnosticism like the Jesus Seminars. I don't know if, how many of you have heard about the Jesus Seminars. The book of Colossians, in my opinion, has never been so relevant. It is really relevant to this day and age. In the Uncovering Religion series, I want to go deeper into Gnosticism and the Jesus Seminars, like actually give a full teaching on it so you understand what it is. Um, I will be briefing it as we go through this series, but I don't want to spend the whole thing on Gnosticism. That's not what it's about. But Gnosticism is taken from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge or to know. Gnosis was a knowledge or insight into the infinite, divine and uncreated. So into the infinite, the divine and the uncreated, meaning God, uh, rather than knowledge strictly to the finite natural and material world so so gnosticism is all mystical knowledge where philosophy is more knowledge related to our person and in this world and the material world so gnostics believe that one must obtain secret knowledge in order to be saved or perfected and this was not available to everyone the secret knowledge only certain few would receive it the gnostic gospels such as the gospel of thomas the gospel of mary magdalene uh, the Gospel of Truth, the Gospel of Judas. That'd be a good one. <laughs> Wonder when he got time to write that one. Yeah. Uh, books that were written between 100 to 200 years after Christ and teach a clearly different Christ from the one written about in the Holy Scriptures. Very different. They preach a Jesus who had wives on earth and who, who was even involved in homosexual activity. That's not the Jesus we worship. The stories are nothing short of blasphemy and are outrageous, yet of course many people read these accounts and prefer them over the truth. Because they just think, oh yeah, this is, some scholar said this is 
more truthful than the Bible that we read now because they 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 get taught through the media that the Bible is false. How many documentaries have you seen that will go down and try to just uh, just pull apart the Bible and tell you that it's just a load of rubbish? Muhammad's view of Christianity was twisted after having heard certain Gnostic Gospels. The Quran came out of that, out of Gnosticism. In many ways, as we study Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, the Baha'i faith, uh, Christian science and others, we see, clearly see Gnostic views and beliefs as they deny Jesus as God and his death on the cross for our sins. As, they, as we study these religions, we see that the one thing they always do is they deny the deity of Christ. Jesus is not God, is what they preach. And that all comes from this Gnostic you know, perception of life. Paul, when he wrote to the, to the Colossians, confronted an early form of that. It was an early form of Gnosticism. It was just sort of getting in the gear because, you know, Jesus had died probably 30 years before and uh, the disciples were out there witnessing and reaching people for Christ and there was a revival of Christianity and people were being saved left, right and centre. And, of course, that got under the nose of a lot of people and so then they started to think of ideas of how can we... What can we say to, you know, pull, push back this tide of Christianity that's sweeping over us? And that's where Gnosticism came about. Now, what I might do just quickly, I'm just going to hold it right there. Please stop this recording and play the video. Okay, I thought that was a, uh, a good video to sort yeah. of put it all together for us. At that one time when the uh, Colossian, the letter to the Colossians was written, Paul also wrote the letter to Philemon on behalf of on Onesimus. And he also wrote the book of Ephesians. And they, be they believe that Onesimus uh, carried the, or brought all three of the books uh, back with him from, from prison where Paul was. So um, some very influential letters came at that one time. As, as we were just saying there, Paul, in the letter to the Colossians, was writing to confront a very early form of Gnosticism. They were being taught devious errors to do with the deity of Christ and were believing that Jesus was not God and that his blood could not save. Apart from the intense persecution which the early church suffered, Gnosticism was one of the strongest threats to early Christianity. Thus, many early church forefathers combated the cult movement in their writings. There was an early Christian writer called Arrhenius who wrote a book called Adversus Hearses, uh, which means against Hearses. It's a detailed attack on Gnosticism, which uh, was then a serious threat to the church. Especially he wrote against a Gnostic theologian called Valentinus, who put together the whole Gnostic you know, uh, thought. But uh, they say there was about 16 to 20 forms of Gnosticism at that time. We only have, I believe now, four to eight or something that is known about, which we've excavated and found these writings. And that's what men do. When they excavate and they find writings, they assume that the writings must be true, just because they're ancient. But ancient writings, there was, there was bad writers and liars writing back then, just as there is today. So not everything written, even if it's old, is necessarily true. So today Gnosticism runs much deeper and is more pervasive through every medium of our culture. As you discover what Gnosticism in is, you will see it in our culture in every form. 
it's amazing. It's in the advertising, it's in the media, it's in radio, it's in music, it's uh, everything that we do just about, there's a form of Gnosticism uh, underlying in it. In the letter to the Colossians, Paul was also clearing up doctrines which were taught by what he called Judaizers. And Judaizers were Jews that were infiltrating the Christian churches and teaching them that faith in Christ for salvation was not enough, that they must return to the Mosaic law and obey it for salvation. Who does that sound like? Which religion? Seventh-day Adventists. Yeah, that you've got to also obey the Sabbath and you've got to also obey the dietary restrictions talked about uh, that Moses talked about, you know, things like that. The Colossians were also combining ideas from other philosophies and religions such as paganism and Greek thought and even angel worship. They were worshipping angels. This is called syncretism and what that means is they combined philosophies and religions into one. So they had Christianity, they had all this other religious nonsense and, and, and philosophy and they brought it all into one and tried to make it a better thing. And that's why it became Gnosticism because there's secret knowledge. You know this stuff, you're an initiate, but you still we, ha we won't teach you this knowledge until you get to this level. You know, it sounds like Freemasonry, the same sort of thing. Yeah. So in all this, Paul had never visited the church in Colossae, but he wrote one of his most powerful letters to the, to a church that what they um, scholars believe was in a, in a very insignificant little town. Many Bible scholars have concluded that the Colossians is the most profound letter that Paul ever wrote, and therefore we must be cautioned against reading it superficially, because it is probably one of the most profound letters that Paul wrote. We've got to approach it with a lot of respect for what it has to say. So unless we depend upon the Spirit of God to teach us, we will miss the truths of what God wants us to learn from this awesome book. We live in a day when religious toleration is interpreted to mean one religion is as good as another. Is that true? Yeah. Is that what, if you're, if you're intolerant of that, they, they think that you're just being biased or something. You're intolerant, yeah. But um, religious tolerance is not accepting all religions as, as good as another. If that was the case, you know, we would all be accepting of Islam and, and what have you. And I've, that's why I'm doing that series. I want to point out that, it's, that we're not the same. We don't think the same way. Actually, it's extremely different to the point where it's ludicrous in some, you know, like what you saw about Mormonism last week. Can you believe that people actually believe that stuff? When you see it in the whole before you, you know, they do the Freemasonry thing. They initiate you, then they slowly indoctrinate you to the point where you're believing it. It all makes sense after 10 years of indoctrination. But if, you, if, they, if those initiates saw what they were to believe at once when they first accepted Mormonism, they would never have continued to step through into it. So many people try to take the best from various religious systems and manufacture their own private religion. So in a sense, many of us are Gnostic. I'm not saying we are, but many people out there are Gnostic. To many people, Jesus Christ is only one of several great religious teachers. And that's, that's a problem. So we live in an age of syncretism where they're combining and harmonizing, uniting many different schools of thought. But because of the book of Colossians, because we have it, we can now hold it up and say, look, this is the truth. And it, it's clarifying to us exactly how we should approach Christ and Christianity. 
it, it comes against all those little things that um, deceive people and make them think the wrong thing. Understand that? Yeah. Hope I'm making sense. So Colossae was one of the three cities located about 100 miles inland from Ephesus. It's located in modern-day Turkey. It is situated just below Laodicea and Hierapolis. This area was a meeting point uh, of east and west because an important trade route uh, passed through there. So it was a, a point where it was probably a stopover point before they get to Ephesus. At one time, all three cities were growing and quite prosperous, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and, and Colossae. But gradually, Colossae slipped into a second-rate position. It became what we would call a small town and the least important city that Paul wrote to in his entire ministry. That's amazing that the most least important city that he wrote to probably received the most important letter that he wrote. Even though the church was not very important in, in, in the whole scheme of things, there was enough importance in it. Like just one Christian there would have been enough for Paul to place some sort of attention on him. Colossae was fertile ground for religious speculations and heresies because of the influx of ideas and doctrines from the east as well as from the large Jewish colony that was there as well. The church in Colossae would probably have never been mentioned in the New Testament if it was not for Paul and his letters. He did not start the Colossian church. They say he didn't even had never even visited Colossae, Paul. The church began as an outgrowth of Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus. So he was preaching in Ephesus, and uh, we'll listen to what it says about his preaching in Ephesus. He was so effective that in Acts 19.10 it says, All they which dwelt in Asia, all them that dwelt in Asia, heard the word of Lord Jesus the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul was so effective that everyone knew about it. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? No radio, no TV, yet everyone in Ephesus knew about Jesus. And the, the true gospel was preached. During this time, two men from Colossae came to the faith, and their names were Epaphras and Philemon. You heard in that video. Epaphras was one of the key founders of the church in Colossae because he went back after Paul converted him, he went back to Colossae and converted his friends. Therefore, the, a church uh, eventuated. Theologians believe that the church was about five years old when uh, Paul wrote the letter to them. So it was only five years old and they were experiencing major, major problems. And Epaphras came to Paul, obviously, because Paul at this time of writing the letter was in prison. He was under house arrest in, in Rome, I think. He had like guys like Epaphras and Timothy, because it says the letter that came from Timothy. Some people even believe that Timothy wrote um, a portion of the letter and, and, um, and Paul gave him the approval. And so they wrote, they believe that could have been a mutually written, written together. And Epaphras, and they used to actually live with Paul under house arrest with him. So they imprisoned themselves just to be next to Paul. It's amazing, isn't it? Would you do that if I was in prison? Of course. Come down to Yatler and hang out with me each day. Okay, so ESV chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul would often establish his credentials in his letters as uh, being chosen and sent from God. I went through and just looked through Romans. You can pick up any book. Let's go to Galatians. Galatians 1. You don't have to open there if you don't want 
Galatians 1 says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me. So he says he was sent not from God, uh, sorry, not from man, but from by Jesus Christ. If we go back to Romans, what does it say? The start of Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Go to 1 Corinthians. It says it again. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. So, anyway, Paul always established his credentials that he's sent not from men, but from God. He was an apostle. As we know from the Damascus Road experience where Jesus appeared to the Christian persecuting Saul, because Saul was persecuting Christians at that time, uh, Jesus came, he appeared to him, he says, why do you persecute me, Saul? And he struck him with blindness. Je- Jesus then appeared to Ananias in a vision. Ananias lived not far from a road called, or a street called Straight Street where Paul was three days blind in this, in this place. And in Acts 9.15 says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man, my chosen instrument, is, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So he is appointed by God, not by men. Wouldn't that be good to know that, you know, I'd love, I've been praying, Lord, please just appoint me and tell me, you know, come to me and tell me straight. Uh, today we don't hear of that many people appointed, and that's the main reason is because they, some theologians believe that there was only ever 12 apostles. And the 12th apostle that was selected by casting lots, because remember Judas died, he betrayed Jesus and died, that was men selecting him. But then we hear that Paul was the only other one that Jesus actually appointed in the gospel and actually told him that I'm going to show him, he's my chosen instrument, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. Basically, I've called him to be an apostle and he's going to carry the message to the Gentiles. So many people believe that there are 12 apostles and Paul's the 12th. And he took the place of Judas Iscariot. And in a funny way, he was like Judas Iscariot before he was converted, wasn't he? But even worse, he was actually killing the Christians. He didn't just betray. He actually went forward and was in prison and grabbing them, doing it. But then he converted over. It was like Judas was removed from him and he became the Apostle Paul. Amazing stuff. So Paul was handpicked by God and a, as a, and a chosen instrument in the hands of God to carry the name of Christ to the Gentile nations. So he had weight, didn't he? He was a powerful man. Very, very powerful man. People knew him the authority that he carried because he walked in the miraculous. What he said, if he if he said someone would die because of something, it would happen. That's the sort of authority he had in Jesus. And so when the Colossians received this letter from Paul, it was coming from, you know, probably the biggest Christian name by far in Christianity. The man who started the single handedly started the Christian church in the Gentile nations. That's awesome, isn't it? What a what a guy to be confronted with. And here's this letter comes in. And not only that, the letter confronts every single thing that's going on there. And it carries such weight and authority. So pretty powerful stuff. So, But Paul had to establish who he was. 
He was a true apostle of God, appointed to serve, and this was not just a matter of his own personal aspirations. In the letter to the church of Colossae, a church which Paul did not plant, he immediately had to appeal to his authoritative position in Christ. So that's why he always started his letters like that. Now, chapter uh, verse 2 says, To the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. What Paul's saying here is he's, he's calling the Christians at Colossae saints, as in present tense, a saint now, not after they die. So straight away, you could say, did the Catholics make all these guys saints? No. These guys are just saints. Why? Because they're Christian. A true believer in Christ is a saint. Not that, And we got the wrong idea of a saint. We think, oh, a saint is just this per- saintly person. Yeah, well, we should be holy. But we, they can't expect a saint to be that perfect that they can't make an error. And if they make an error, they jump down the saint's throat and says, you're not a saint because you made that error. And a saint doesn't have to perform, you know, 20 miracles to become a saint. A saint just has to believe in Jesus. So from now on, when people say, what, what do you do? Just say, I'm a saint. All right? Say, hi, I'm Jenny the saint. <laughs> saint Jenny. Saint Bill. When he said this, he, he didn't just say it as a term of endearment, did he? He was appealing to their true position in Christ. Those very words had an, should have had an effect on the Colossians. Hey, we're saints now. We don't need secret knowledge to become saints. We are saints now. That's what Paul, even at that point in the letter, was already pointing that out. A saint is in Christ is a faithful brother or sister in Christ. Paul would always write these kinds of salutations in his letters. He pointed that out to every church. He would establish, firstly, that he was an apostle in Christ. Then he would establish the church's sainthood or brotherhood. And he did this in every letter. Then the third thing he would do, he would then bless them. And he would say something along the lines of, like in the book of Colossians, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And do you think that those words are just sort of a thing he says? You know, we can sort of say, you know, hi, good to see you. Anyway, see you later. God bless you. You know, we can just about use it as a, as a goodbye statement, you know. But when Paul said it, do you think that's his intent? It's just a thing he said? No, he meant it. He actually said it with authority. And we've got to think like that when we say, God bless you to someone. We've got to say it with authority, knowing that God can actually bless this person. God can bring this person to a realization of the truth. So we must not think that the blessing from Paul was just a nice greeting, but rather receive it with the power of prayer with which it was intended when we read that. So when we speak out a blessing to someone, we must realize that the gravity and power from which the source of our blessing comes. When you say God bless you and when you talk to them about Jesus, realize the power of the spoken word. Jesus says, or in the the book of John it says, the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. So the word, I believe it's uh, an element of the word, is the spoken word was with God in the beginning. So when we speak the word out now, we have power and authority in our tongue. And by speaking it into the air with belief, we have a, a, a power to influence people. Uh, the tongue is the most powerful organ in the body. It is. Because it's got the power to kill and the power to give life. And the power mm. to 
It has. It has. You imagine if a president goes up to his, you know, you know, goes up to Biff at the back and says, go and kill Sansa. Do you think he had power in his tongue to command that to happen? And Biff would do it? You think so? There's people around that that's what they do. You can pay them. So you, you say the word, give them enough money, back it with money, back it with belief, and it can be done. That's the power of, of the spoken word. And so in the tongue is life and death. And that's just from a natural perspective. But when we speak the word of God, there's even a greater power to influence because it's filled by the Holy Spirit. It has power to affect and change people's hearts. And all we've got to do is believe. Believe it has that power. Well, you saw what um, Hitler did. Mm. Or he was, was a good speaker. He was an incredibly charismatic speaker. Actually, they say he was um, a cultic because he had demons um, directing him. Uh, one man who was in the audience who came as a skeptic in the audience, I saw a video on him, and he said the it was like we were all under a cloud and it was intoxicating hearing Hitler speak and being in there that room with him, he said, is just overwhelming the, how he felt and the impact that every word he spoke would have in his soul because of the demons that were directing him it's also like um uh, actors when they act you get a, a, an amazing performance it can bring you to tears it can impact you so much just by expression and words you know that's why when you hear of people that have had visions of jesus not all of them because we know someone's had a vision of jesus and still don't believe people that have had visions of jesus and spoken with him and or had close encounters with hell you know unbelievers have gone and experienced hell come out of death come back to life and the reason why we know it's true is because that person went from atheism to christianity and still you know 10 years later is still passionate for jesus so it wasn't something just made up it was something that had such a huge impact on his life he was never the same again yeah verse 3 he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So by his nature, Paul was a natural encourager. Even though Paul wrote the letter to Colossae from prison, he still testified to thanking God and praying for this seemingly, seemingly in, insignificant church. So here's Paul in prison, and he's not just praying for Colossae, he's praying for all the churches, and he's thanking God for them. And he hadn't met them, but he's just thanking and praising God. You know, how that you think about it. If you're in prison and, and you, you know, you're under arrest and there's problems around you, you've got problems, you'd think most people would just be praying for yourself, wouldn't you? But he was focused on everybody else. And he was praying passionately. And that should really speak to us. You know, even in our trials and our tribulations, we should be thinking of others. Uh, Romans uh, 12.9 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. I like that. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual further, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. There's a good one. So if someone persecutes you, bless them. 
That's a lesson we've all got to learn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And it also says that it, it alludes to all be and willing be willing to do menial work, like clean our toilets for us or something. Yes. All right. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's a pretty powerful like bit of scripture, isn't it? If it's possible. If it's possible. Because sometimes it's not possible to live at peace with one another. You know, sometimes it's just the situation is just, um, you, can't, you can't live at peace with that person. You know, it'd be hard to live, live at peace with someone who's, you know, every time he sees you, he, he comes up and wants to hit you. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Okay, we're going to stop there anyway. Uh, we're up to chapter f- uh, verse 4. So we've done a l- we got a little bit done. Yeah, we've done three. All right. So is everyone getting something from this today? I hope. I'm sort of trying to. In the future, this book of Colossians gets more and more in depth. There's a lot more to it. I just wanted to use it this time as an introduction to what the book's about, where it's written from, and the history behind it. There is. Yeah, you could go further too. Okay, so next week in the Uncovering Religion series, I want to be talking to you about deceptive and soul-damning religious secret cult uh, or society called Freemasonry. And Bill's been doing some research for me, sending me videos galore on Freemasonry. There's some interesting stuff there. Somehow you slipped over to Skull and Bones, I noticed. Yeah, that's... Part of it. It's a breakaway of Freemasonry. You do. Uh, it will reveal the truth in relation to what many believe are a harmless Christian organization. How many of you have heard that Freemasonry is Christian? Yes. Haven't? Did you ever hear that, Jenny? Did they try to? Because in America they believe that was, and, and Christians joined Freemasonry groups. Mm. And many Christian churches in America are full of Freemasons. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, so over there they've sort of had it, accepted it as a thing. Over here I think we've been a bit more aware of it in recent times. So, um, but it's not. It's not Christian in any way. They don't honour Jesus as God. And I will continue with this book in the in two weeks' time, the Book of Colossians. And yeah, well, that that would be a good thing for you to do. Just open the Book of Colossians and read it from here to there, sort of from here to the next few uh, times I preach it, just to get a sense of what it's about yourself. And then I'll be able to disclose more to you, which will sort of open it up even more. All right, let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for this day, and I just pray uh, that you uh, bless our barbecue now and just uh, give us a wonderful afternoon. And I pray that your spirit be with us all as we go into this week, that you watch over us, you protect us, you bless the uh, works of our hands and, and, and our life and our health. And I pray that you uh, direct our paths and keep us on the path of life and keep us passionate for the things of God. And I pray this in your wonderful, most holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.